this new series. You heard some really good news. Particularly good news if you've come to the point in your life where you've really screwed your life up and done a lousy job of managing your own life. How many of you can relate? Okay, good. Good news is for you. God wants to sit on the throne of your life. He wants to invite you to live in his kingdom. In his kingdom is everything that is good and glorious. You don't have to do a thing to get it. Enter the kingdom, you get it all. But first you have to get to the point where you recognize you can't do it on your own. You can't figure it out on your own. You can't get where you want to go on your own. You can't do it on your own. You're ready to turn it over to him. What follows are eight principles that describe our new life in the kingdom of God. In other words, what it looks like when we live under Jesus' authority and invite him to sit on the throne of our lives. What can you expect when you get to that point? Today, we're not only going to look at the first principle, we're going to memorize it from Scripture. Don't you, love, you love to memorize, right? You guys make a way bigger deal about it than it is to me. This is so easy. Some of you already memorized these words before. We're going to memorize all eight of them we have to. But we're going to do it, guess what? One at a time. Can't get easier than that, right? So we're starting with the first one. And here it is. Stay along with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, I can even have to look. And you're going to be in that same place in just a minute, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They claim if you say it three times, you'll have it. So let's try one more time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's try one more time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that great? Well, what the heck does that mean? You've been waiting for this moment all week, haven't you? Shane last week, on, I'm like, that's great. Well, what's it mean to be poor in spirit? I said, you got to come next week and find out. I love those trucks, all right? So while you're doing it, drive the bus. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We call principle one, I bring nothing. It's, you want to learn some big words today? It is, you don't have to write this part. The enigma of empty-handedness. You know what an enigma is? It, yeah, it is like a puzzle. It's a particular kind of conceptual puzzle. Like this. An enigma is you have one idea over here, and you have another idea over here. They seem to be in contradiction. But then you take another look at them, and you notice that if you consider this truth in conjunction with this truth, they form a still greater truth that can change everything. Enigma. <clears throat> the enigma is sort of like this. Jesus uh, one time was preaching, 
And a fellow came to him. And sometimes in your in the Gospels, you'll put a little title above the story that follows. You ever notice that? And this isn't part of the text, but it is in a lot of Bibles. And it says, the story of the rich, young ruler. Have you ever heard it said, wow, they have it all. That, that person got everything. Maybe it's Christmas time and you go like, what do you give to the person who has everything? That guy. Think about it. Rich. <coughs> Anything you want, you can pay for it. You don't have to figure out how. Rich. You're not too old to spend it. Young. You know, because that's the case sometimes you get a little money and now you're sick and you don't want to go anywhere or do anything. Right? But this guy was rich and young. And when it says a ruler, it means he had lots of authority and power and responsibility. And yet, says the text, he goes to Jesus and says, Master, what must I do to receive eternal life? In other words, he was saying, I'm rich, I'm young, I'm a ruler, but something's missing. So if you've ever thought, something's missing in my life, if only I had a little more money, if only I were a little younger or healthier, or maybe if only I didn't have that wrinkle under here. I was up at 3 o'clock this morning getting dressed, and they have some like info commercial for this like, cream you put on there. <laughs> You're like 20 years younger. Ruler. People do what I tell them to do. They have to. And yet, it says something was missing in his life. Jesus says to him, go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor and come and follow me and you will have riches in heaven. And the text says, the man went away sad because he was very wealthy. In other words, if he'd been broke and Jesus would have said to him, Give me the 35 cents you have in your pocket. He probably said, yeah, I can't buy anything with that anyhow. Have it. But this guy was rich. Jesus asked for the very thing that he had the most of. He went away sad. Afterwards, the disciples said, because the disciples were thinking, we could use a disciple like this guy. Because we have no money. <laughs> we're not that young anymore. And we're not powerful. We're just fishermen and average, ordinary people. We could use a guy like this, and Jesus just sent him away because he asked too much. And Jesus <clears throat> says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. How hard is that? That would not be hard. That's impossible. You're exactly right. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich of the kingdom. In other words, he's not just talking about having a big bank account. He's saying, if you've got a lot of stuff that you're depending on to make you happy, okay, you can't get into the kingdom of God with it. you got to let it go, and then you're welcome to enter. But until you're ready to let go of it, you can't enter. That's why it's pretty awesome when you hit bottom. Because even you, you big knucklehead, can recognize at that point, you don't have anything. 
He had no place to go. <laughs> he got no nothing to buy. Nobody's hanging out with you. You're at the bottom. And then Jesus says, wow, looks like you're ready to enter the kingdom. You have nothing left to sell. <laughs> now send a note to all your friends that you're entering the kingdom. Oh, wait a minute. You don't have any anymore. Okay, be sure to give notice at your last place. You think they'll require that down at the gutter? Don't think so. Okay, just enter the kingdom. But if you've got some stuff, this is hard. Or if you imagine that you have some stuff, that is, you ever been to that point where you convince yourself that you're richer, younger, smarter, stronger, better than you are? Okay, what do we call that? It's the river along which... Denial. Denial. Yeah, denial. Yeah. Right next to denial. Saying, I think I can make it. Maybe if I, I sell this or I talk to this person, or I'll go see Uncle Louie, or if I get this, or if I sell my dad, or if I do this, or maybe, you know, you know, just this one more drink and then that kind of thing, okay? <laughs> you got to realize, get to the point where you realize that that's not going to work. Now you're ready to enter the kingdom. Here's the enigma. Another word for enigma is paradox. Here's the idea that garners entrance into the kingdom of heaven. First, first part, remember how it's two truths that seem to contradict each other, but when you consider them together, big things happen. First part of the truth. I deserve nothing. None of the many blessings that are promised for citizens of the kingdom of heaven that follow do I have a right to. Not a single one. How much do you deserve? Nothing. Zip. Zilch. Nada. You deserve nothing. Me either. I deserve none of the many blessings of life in the kingdom, but because I know I deserve nothing, by grace, I get it all. I deserve nothing. Zip. Zilch. Got nothing coming. Stop checking the mail. It ain't coming. But, now that I realize that, I can stop and receive all that God wants to give me. But I gotta let go of the riches before I can enter the kingdom. I gotta stop trusting in, I know some of you are probably trusting in your good looks. I don't know what that feels like. But, if you are, Time has a way of taking care of that, doesn't it? Plus, it's all relative anyhow, right? It's all a matter of taste. I mean, after all, really Mary Chain. <laughs> right? And the first time we saw her, we all were like, how do you do that? <laughs> Kingdom of heaven blessing. He didn't deserve it. He still doesn't deserve it. <laughs> but by God's grace, you know, my actually, actually, he gets it all. 
C.S. Lewis, the British dude, and he, he was an Oxford professor, and he had some pretty intellectual ways of looking at things. And in a chapter of his book, Mere Christianity, called The Great Sin, he writes this. Now I come to the part of Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. For there is one sin from which no one in the world is free, and one sin which everyone in the world hates when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever think they're guilty themselves. <coughs> the sin of which I speak is pride. And the virtue that is opposite it is humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. <coughs> it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Does this seem exaggerated to you? If so, think it over. I pointed out a moment ago that the more pride one had, the more one disliked it in others. In fact, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do proud people irritate me? Because if you were proud, it wouldn't bother you. But because it does, it's a revelation of your own pride. Pride is always competitive. Take it with money. Greed will certainly make a man want money for the sake of a better house, better holidays, better things to eat and drink. But only up to a point. What is it that makes a man with 10,000 pounds, that's probably nothing today, he wrote this a long time ago, a year anxious to get 20,000 a year? Is it not the greed of the rich man and the wish for power? For of course, power is what pride enjoys. There is nothing that makes a man feel so superior to others as being able to move them about like toy soldiers. What makes a pretty girl spread misery wherever she goes? This is Lewis writing, not me. <laughs> By collecting admirers. Certainly not her sexual instinct. What is it that makes political leader or a whole nation go on and on, demanding more and more? It is pride. Pride is competitive. It is Competitive by its very nature. The Christians are right. It is pride which is the chief cause of every misery in every nation and every family. At the end of the article, it concludes with these succinctly elegant and awesome words. He said, you see, proud people are always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't
can't see something above you that is immeasurably greater than you are. <laughs> That's why reaching bottom is so awesome. Because for many of you, it's the first time there's no place to look down. You're at the bottom, remember? That means there's no place lower than that. You look up, and you see that all along, through all the time, God has been reaching to you. But your pride makes it impossible to look up and notice that his hand is right there, and all you have to do is take hold. Poverty of spirit. Poverty is, of spirit is the opposite of pride. It is genuine humility. It isn't like beating up on yourself or being down on yourself. Or like I just love it when people go, "Oh, this little thing, this is nothing." You know, and of course they're, they're going past. Bring it on! Bring on the compliments! Come on! Put it on a little heavier. That's ridiculous. That's the same problem with a different expression. Poverty of spirit is saying, I see me the way God sees me. And when God looks at me, he sees someone who needs lots of help. And so, by his grace, he wants to give me lots of help. But I have to get to the point where I recognize that I need help as much as he recognizes that I need help. So, in what ways is this attitude, this poverty of spirit attitude, a source of blessing? I'd like to list seven quickly reasons that I came up with. But frankly, I had like 50 on a page, and I just narrowed it down to these seven. First, poverty of spirit releases you from the idea that God owes you. God owes me is an instinctive reaction to being deep down inside, fully aware of how desperately needy I am, but not wanting to admit it. Well, I have this or that or the other thing because God likes me best. And of course God likes me best because I'm such a good person. Anytime you compare yourself to somebody else, that's all you're looking for. You love to say, well, I would never do that if I wouldn't do this. I would never go that low, fall that far, take it that far away from the truth. No, you do something different, perhaps, but it's still better. Okay? The comparisons are inane. They're ridiculous. They get you nowhere. Humility says, man, there are some screwed up people who go to that Calvary Memorial Church, and I are one of them. That's another paradox, isn't it? What a family. We're all screwed up. We all reached bottom. We all looked up. We all found the same God reaching to us right where we were at. You ever see people with addictions? 
to like make one addiction worse than another addiction? Well, of course, what I did wasn't the same as you gave control of your life over to a substance. Substances are substances. Doesn't matter what it was. The whole point is you were made to live your life under God's rule. Not under the rule of fill in the blank. And put your sin in there. Not your neighbor. <coughs> Property of spirit releases me from the idea that God owes me. It positions me to ask and receive in prayer. You've matured as a Christian and you may have gotten to the point where you go like, huh, I need to be better at praying. I need to hang out with people who pray better than me or longer than me or more effectively than I do. What you don't realize is the first requirement of a good prayer is you have to recognize how desperately needy you are. As long as you think you've got this long list of things that you can handle on your own, and then when it crosses the red line, then you go, oh God, I don't think I can handle this. Please come help me. Prayer. You're not going to be much of a prayer. But the minute you recognize that you can't do anything apart from God's involvement. How many of you already today have been doing all kinds of breathing? How many of you are planning on doing more breathing later today? How many of you stopped to give thanks to God for lungs that breathe and for living in a world where the environment is breathable. Not a single one of you, including me, probably. Okay. If it was somebody, and somebody who lives at the mission, okay, because they can buy it. Alright? Okay. Stay there. Don't move. Because from the bottom only do we realize I can't do anything without God. If he doesn't give me the capacity to breathe, I can't even live for the next few moments. Everything I have, everything I am, everything I do is a gift from God. And now, I recognize that and I am grateful. Are you only grateful when something like really big happens? But all that all the little things you go like, yeah, thanks God, thanks God, thanks God, thanks God. But where's the big stuff? And God is inviting us to come to the place, poverty of spirit, where I recognize I can't do anything. Our scripture reading today from John 15, Jesus is walking through a vineyard from the upper room with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. He evidently reaches out, takes a vine in his head, and says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He goes, uh, don't these branches produce luscious grapes? I wonder how they would do if we cut them off from the vine. So, apart from me, did you read the text? You can't do much. Is that what it says? 
No. It says you can do nothing. 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 How do I get to that point where I'm reminded of that constant? I don't have to have like things go bad for me to be reminded of that. And the answer is that's what poverty of spirit does for me. It helps me to live in constant gratitude. Whenever we work with people who are in recovery, I always say, this is my deal, so that's not the gospel, here's my deal, is you can always tell months out when a person's going to relapse. We see it coming down the road like a train. And the first symptom is always exactly the same. It is always loss of gratitude. Always. You're at the mission, day one. I'm so awesomely thankful. God gave me a place to sleep last night. And I woke up this morning and somebody fixed me breakfast. 8.30. Somebody snored all night long in my room and I couldn't sleep a whip. Same, same guy, same place. And if you saw the disgusting slop they tried to feed us this morning from same person, same location, same food, same bed. No gratitude. Gratitude. What produces gratitude? Always poverty of spirit. If you're thinking, well, I got that coming. I got that coming. Bring on I'm an American citizen. Bring that on. I, I deserve that. You know what a good person I've been? I, I, I had to put up with this. I should get that. No gratitude. The minute you say, I deserve nothing. I'm blessed to have anything I have. Immediate reaction, gratitude. Third, it helps you to bear affliction. Pain. This life meets it out, doesn't it? Knocks you around. Yeah. But if you think you deserve better, you're just going to be walking around going like, God's not fair. How come, how come I lost my job and they got to keep theirs? How come I lost my spouse and they got to keep theirs? How come... Uh, my child won't obey, and theirs will. How come? Don't I deserve better? Answer, no. No? When you recognize that everything you have is a gift from God, and you didn't earn any of it, then when you go through tough times, you embrace them. You accept them. You say, I don't really deserve better. Of course life is unfair. But what does it matter? I'm living in the kingdom of heaven. Where I get everything, not because life is fair, but because God is good. Fourth, it nourishes your love for others and substitute the biblical meaning of the word love here, which means highly valued. 
Yes, you do feel warm and affection, affectionate feelings for anyone or anything that you highly value. So they're connected. But the meaning is, you're important to me. Well, as long as you're competing with other people to prove that you're better than them, so you've got more coming, you're never going to really ever be able to love people. Because you're always going to say, they deserve more, but they don't deserve as much as me. When the truth is, neither one of you deserves any of it. Fifth, it strengthens you to overcome temptation. Because after all, particularly as Christians, what is it that tempts us? Usually, by the way, according to the scriptures, I want for me the same things that God wants for me. I've grown to that point. But here's the deal. I want it right now. I want it this way. I want it to come in this package with this bow on it. I want it to come from this person. And God doesn't always agree with me. Does he with you? No. But when I recognize, I have no right to say, God, do this for me, and do it this way at this time, <coughs> through this person. No poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit says, God, I don't even have a right to ask. And you are good. Because you are so good, just give me what you have planned for me. And let it arrive on the day when you plan for it to arrive. In the package that you wrapped it in, delivered by the person you ordained to bring it. Temptation is, I like to take the shortcut. Hey, God, that's great. I'm going to claim that promise through your word, but I think I know a quicker way to get there. <laughs> God says, no, 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 that's, that's not it. I am tempted to find some reason somewhere along the line why it's okay with God for me to take the shortcut. When I know it's not, without poverty of spirit, I hope it is. Sixth, it frees you from the tyranny of self. How many of you ever worked for a really bad boss? You've never worked for a worse boss than you are trying to run your own life. I'm like Marvel. I'll walk into like Walmart or something. And there's this always. Some of the people are pretty nice to work there, but there's always this one lady or man just running around like a chicken with their head cut off and they look crazy. And they are mean and they are grumpy and they look like they bite off your head for a quarter. That's the supervisor, right? Okay? Because they were such a dirty good clerk, somebody decided it was a great idea to make them the supervisor. They have no training for managing people, right? They're asked to do a job 20 times bigger than any human being could ever deal with. And they've lost all sight of reality when it comes to dealing with other human beings. And that's a picture of you trying to run your own life. You're a tyrant and a bully. 
When you kick you off the throne of your life, you're doing yourself the biggest favor you ever did. Give a pink slip to you when it comes to running your life. You did a crappy job. You're out. You're done. You're finished. Tell your story while you're walking. God's got better plans for you. Finally, all genuine worship occurs through poverty of spirit. Whenever you're worshiping Jesus or you're convinced you're worshiping Jesus, but you're really telling him how happy it made you this week when he did things your way. Okay? That's not poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit says, man, I see how unworthy I am. And from this they okay back. From yeah. this perspective, <laughs> from this perspective, I see how glorious Jesus is. I see how imperfect I am. I see how perfect he is. I see how awesomely powerful he is. I see how impotent I am. I see how dumb I can be. I see how incredibly wise. He is. To the degree I recognize my own limitations. I recognize his lack of limitations. And I also recognize that if I link myself to him, if I come live in his kingdom under his rule, I get his wisdom. I get his strength. I get his beauty. I worship him. I receive all the results of him reigning and ruling in my life. That poverty of spirit. Pretty awesome stuff. Now the thing you need to understand about the Beatitudes is this is the first one. Okay? It means if you're not going to get one straight, don't even don't even start with two. Okay? Because two's not even going to make sense until you put one into practice. And one is to say, I'm getting off the throne of my life, inviting Jesus to sit on it, because I recognize how unworthy, unable, unincapable I am of effectively running my life, and how awesomely, majestically, beautifully able he is. Everything starts to happen. In that moment. <clears throat> is this taught in the rest of the Bible? It is, in fact. Thanks for asking. James 4.10. Humble yourself before the Lord. Place yourself in a position of poverty of spirit. And what will he do? He will lift you up. <laughs> That's the paradox, isn't it? When I recognize I deserve nothing, I enter the kingdom and get it all. When I humble myself, instead of, what's the alternative to humbling yourself? Ever been, you, no, it's, it's worse than that. It's being humiliated. It's being humbled. Ever had something happen that humbled you? Not comfortable, is it? No. But when you choose to humble, 
humble yourself, to acknowledge what is clearly true, then God says, let me lift you up. Let me exalt you. Let me glorify who you are as my creation and my child who I saved for my purpose. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did you notice it did not say, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they get to come into the kingdom. No, no. And he, he said, hey, it belongs to them. I mean, any of us might visit the kingdom of God. We get to say, have you seen the kingdom I live in? My kingdom? It's the kingdom underneath Christ's rule. Everything I got came from him. Everything I need resides in him. Everything in my future flows from him. I'm poor in spirit. He's glorious in his rule in my life. Let's pray. Father, we're rejoicing today <laughs> in the invitation you've given us to come into the kingdom but at the door, we have to leave our camels <laughs> and all the burdens our camels bear, all the riches, all the resources, all the characteristics, all the power, all the things we think we've got coming, we let it go today as we enter your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.